Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing uh, with my friends who happen to be behavioral psychologists, Marco and Jess of the Red Arrow Wellness Podcast. But first, a little catching up. Gina, what's new and exciting? New and exciting. Oh, gosh. I've debated whether to talk about this on the podcast. I won't lie, but I'm, I'm going to because this is what's going on in my life. And I'm not trying to deter anyone from getting the vaccine. I'm still very glad I got it. Would never change a thing. But I am definitely having odd symptoms from the vaccine. I won't necessarily mention the type that I got because, again, I don't want to deter anyone from getting it. But I'm still trying to figure out whether I know I should get the second one. But I have definitely had some odd reactions to the first one. And I don't know what it means. I'm, I'm trying to do some research. I'm not finding much. I'm not finding anyone who's experienced the same thing that I've experienced. I just want to find at least one person out there that will make me feel a little bit better. But basically, I got the first one and I definitely had symptoms from it. Within two hours, I had full body chills, uh, a slight fever. And when I say a slight fever, it was like 99. So technically, that's not even a fever. It's just higher than my normal um, and what else? Obviously a very sore arm, which I think is, is obviously very common. I get that with the flu shot too, but it was definitely worse than that. Nothing unbearable. It was fine. I didn't take anything and the next day. I felt fine. I just was a little bit lethargic because I really didn't sleep that much that night. So I think that's really why I was still not feeling hundred percent that next day. But then ex- no kidding, Nicole, exactly seven days later. I mean, on the nose. So I got my shot on Thursday, last Thursday. And then the, the following Thursday at 3.30, I'm, I kid you not, I looked down and my arm was swelling um, just right where I got the shot. It was almost like a golf ball in my arm. And that whole day, I will say I had had that um, axillary pain uh-huh. where I, my lymph node was very swollen. I could feel it. And it was it didn't it wasn't concerning. On, honestly, I, to me, it was just like, OK, my immune system's working. It's my lymph node swollen. That's that's fine. It was weird that it was seven days later. But I still didn't think much of it. It was just uncomfortable. But then, you know, at 3.30 that day, literally seven seven days after, I mean, to the T, because I got my shot at 3.30, my arm, it just got a little golf ball swelling right where I got the, the shot. And it hurt badly, really, really hard, hard as a rock. And just, I was a little bit concerned. So I went to my doctor's office. They said not to worry about it. It'll go away in a couple of days. And that's fine. And it did. It has since gone down. I, I, it actually was only swollen for probably half a day. And it has since gone down. It's still hard. So it's not as soft as my, as my other uh, arm because I keep comparing the two. And it's also very kind of warm to the touch. But what, what's concerning me the most is I keep Googling it, which I know Nick tells me to stop doing that. But I've, I, I'm not seeing anyone else. Everyone else has this rash. I didn't get a rash, although my arm is a little bit itchy. I will say I do have itch but no rash. It's just the, the swelling. And I have not heard many people say this, which is why it concerns me. So I think to myself, oh my gosh, do I want to get the second one? I don't know. I probably will. But it, yeah, I, 
it, I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous about it. I'm not gonna lie. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say. I I have got a few weeks to make the decision. I'm 99 sure I'll get it, but I'm waiting to hear. I, I'm waiting to hear someone else who experienced this and also got the second shot and survived. <laughs> I I feel confident you'll survive, but yes, that's un, that's unfortunate for sure. But you'll be so uh, glad when it's done, Gina. Will I? I mean, <laughs> yes. Yes. And then, of course, Nick got his yesterday and he's like, I feel fine. <laughs> but I do hear that mo- it's mostly women who get these um, kind of negative reactions g- generally. But, it, but also that it was mostly women who got the first round of the, of the vaccine anyway. So they're hearing more about women getting side effects because a lot of healthcare workers are women. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who, who were in that first round, those first couple rounds of, of the vaccine. So. Anyway, I'll be fine. Uh, Other than that, so that's been on my mind for, you know, the last 72 hours. Other than that, I am in the last round of my intuitive eating certification with Evelyn Tripoli. And it has just been not at all what I expected. I will say if anyone who's listening has done this again, this is the, I think the third, this is the third, maybe it was the fourth. I think there's four different things you have to do. I think this is the fourth thing. And basically it is you schedule phone, almost mock, what I thought it was, was mock consultations with Evelyn Triboli. But actually what it is, I'm on the phone with Evelyn and then about seven other people. And they're all in the same last step as me. And we basically just talk about a case that we've had recently or in the past and ask her for tips on how to handle it. (laughs) So it's not really at all what I expected. It's, it's a lot more relaxed and it's funny, not funny, but I'm finding that the majority of the questions, first of all, it's all women. I have not, there's not been, there's not one male in the group. And the majority of the questions relate to eating disorders and how to handle intuitive eating with those who have disordered eating or specifically eating disorders, which is not surprising to me. Uh, So it's been interesting. We have one last, my last group is next week, my my last session and I'm really want to make it a good question. So I'm trying to figure out what I can ask her because it's almost like my last chance to have her full attention. So I got to make it a good, a good question. Hmm. Anyway, that's, that's really it. Other than that, you know, not, not much going on. How was your vacation, Nicole? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, this is coming out later in the month. So it's the 10th of April for <laughs> anyone interested. Yeah. We just got back from Key West, uh, kid-free vacation. This was our Cancun trip got that got canceled two or three times. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Details. Um, Key West was interesting. Have you ever been, Gina? I've never. No. Okay. It's it's a lot of. Um, it's kind of just like an adult playground. I would say there's just a lot of drinking. A lot of. Um, yeah. It's it's just a party town. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> not properly caffeinated yet this morning. It's uh, a Saturday. Um. Yeah, but it was really fun. You know, Key West is not known for their beaches. So we stayed at a resort that was right on the ocean with great views, but had a pool. Um, That was definitely the right choice. We stayed at Ocean Key. And I'll actually link in the show notes. I stayed up late last night doing a pod, uh, podcast, an, a blog post with a bunch of pictures and restaurant reviews. Um, Yeah, it was it was great. I will say, um, as expected, you know, COVID precautions there are... <laughs> 
mild suggestions, really. Um, and I think you couple that with the amount of alcohol flowing through that town and oh it was just all. Yeah. So I was very um, glad to be vaccinated. But, you know, we were not just real negligent on, you know, running into crowds or anything like that. Uh, I think one of the things that we missed doing um, that we would do, obviously, kind of like post pandemic was um it, like some type of an excursion. They had like sunset cruises where they would have a whole band like on the boat. It just looked mm-hmm. like a lot of fun. Um, but just a COVID hotspot, like on water. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drifting through. <laughs> um, so we would do that next time. You know, I think it's one of those where you can definitely find what you want. Um, you know, it's a very active city, um, town, island, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it 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 kind of has that Hawaii vibe, but not quite the the posh of Hawaii. Um, mm-hmm. at least Maui. I can't speak for the other islands, but um obviously much, much smaller than Maui. Yeah, but it was good. It was I no complaints. Uh food, sun, cocktails. I mean, nothing not to like. We got some workouts in. Yeah, it was great. Um and then I did wa- see you were pretty active on that trip. I was watching your rings. My stalking rings. you. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it was it was good. I I knew going into vacation, I was like, I knew we had four days without travel, basically, like on resort, um, full days. And I was like, I knew I wanted to exercise some of those days by choice, but I also didn't want the pressure of yes. doing it. So I think I managed two runs and then I um I did yoga on like our balcony the day we left, and it was so nice. It oh. was Dreamy. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, And while we were on our trip, Mark told me that he got me, which my birthday's not till July, but he told me that he got me a us, a boat share membership. Um, And so basically it's it's like a timeshare, if you will, but with boats. And so there's locations all over the U.S. and in Canada and in France. But basically you just you have your local fleet, which is we have a one local to St. Joe where we live and then we can use boats in the fleets other places. So we're, oh, we're neat. doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to sign up and all that kind of stuff. There's some training that we have to do both on the boat and in the classroom, which is why he told me about this so that we could uh, get a move on before my July birthday. So yeah, oh, anyway, cool. we're really looking forward to that. I, our girls don't particularly love boating, um, but they have pontoons and things. They just don't like going fast. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. That's funny. That's really funny because your kids, I feel like, and my kids are opposites in some way. Well, especially Shay and and Paige, but Paige loves to go fast. Like she hates to go slow. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) It is funny. She is very reserved and quiet and shy at first, I should say. See, that's the thing. But when it comes to an an adrenaline rush, she loves it, which is kind of scary to me. But (laughs) I mean, she will. She loves roller coasters. She just wants to go fast. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. I mean, my only thing about the boat, the boat is great. Like boating is great. I don't feel comfortable boating unless we're like going in open water with nobody around going in a straight line. Right. Um, I'm all about going fast until you have to turn. It was the same thing with oh. jet skis. Like I did sure. not love that. And I'm a good swimmer, but still Lake Michigan is a very, very, very large and scary body of water. So mm. I think it's just one of those things, especially with kids that, mm. Yeah, I just we have to be careful, right? Like, yeah, that's all. That's the all. oceans scare me more because I'm afraid I'm going to see a giant shark fin. <laughs> like when I parasail, yes. the whole time all I do is look for sharks in the water. <laughs> I don't even know why I do it. 
Well, so on one of our excursions in Key West, there was a nurse shark. And I kid you not, Gina, we're, we're kayaking in maybe two feet of water at this uh-huh. point. And uh-huh. he was like, oh, yeah, that's where they like to go. They love the sand. And he's like, they will take your fingers off. I'm like, Aah! and then oh we're gosh. nearly done with like the kayak tour. And he's like, look at all those hundreds of jellyfish. I'm like, what? These things are upside down. I just thought they were like mm. circular little blobs at the bottom. No, these are freaking jellyfish everywhere. And he tells us, he's like, yeah, don't tip over the boat. Like, don't get out of your kayak. And I, oh my I was just like, okay, just just get us back. Like, this is very so cool. Pressure. But like, yee! it was a little nerve wracking. <laughs> so anyway, I'm with All you. Right. I don't particularly love sharks. Yeah. Who does? Right. <laughs> Actually, I did used to love sharks. I, w- I would always do reports. I was fascinated by them. I still am. I would always choose to do reports on char- sharks when I was a kid, but I was also terrified of them. I mean, obviously. All right. So moving on (laughs) before we begin today's topic, just a quick favor to ask if you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So we'd appreciate it. Awesome. And today, uh, as we as I said, we're welcoming to the show my friends Marco and Jess. Uh, They are a couple. They've been together for over 20 years and they have four awesome kids. Uh, Marco and I happen to play hockey together in our local beer league where he's the almighty commissioner and does an awesome job of really regulating some rather intense uh, players. And uh, he really drafts the only email that I'm guaranteed to open each week. They're quite humorous. Uh, So some people we play with, you know, I think, you know, this Gina, they think the scouts are coming and will show up any week to, to, you know, draft off our beer league. But uh, we always share a good laugh over this, Marco and I. Um, so he and Jess have similar expertise in education as behavioral psychologists and in behavioral analysis. Uh, that's a that's a lot. They're going to unpack that a bit for us. And Marco even worked in government intelligence. How cool is that? Uh, they have similar and endless interests in hobbies ranging from photography to coaching to podcasting. And so without further ado, let's welcome them to the show. All right, Marco and Jess, welcome to the show. We're going to get started with a little uh, this or that. All right. First one, whiskey or wine? Whiskey. Whiskey. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I, Jess, I last saw you drinking wine, so I guess I... <laughs> well, yes, but that place does not have whiskey, so <laughs> I would have gone for that, but absolutely not beer. Never. Oh, wow. Yeah. All okay. right. Uh, I did learn that about you that night. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> um, summer or winter? Summer. Summer. Okay. I thought these were going to be harder for you guys based on your hobbies and interests, but apparently not. <laughs> All right. What about this one? Pizza or sushi? Sushi. sushi. <laughs> Twinsies. Okay. Yeah. This is why we're married. Okay. <laughs> night in or night out? Um, probably a night in. Yeah, night in. I have to, I have to turn my personality on when I go out, and that's hard after I've been working all day and have to be turned on and everything. Agreed. In person. Okay, night in with the kids or without the kids? Without. without. Okay. <laughs> so you're <They're> fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, they're fantastic, but like we need some adult time away yeah. from them. Agreed. All right. Awesome. Well, that was fun. We got to know you a little bit better. At least I did. I know Nicole already knows you both. So apparently not. I would have thought that would have been more of a struggle. (laughs) All right. Awesome. So 
You are both masters and PhD educated behavioral psychologists working in applied behavioral analysis. So just break that down for us and how it might apply to those seeking a healthy lifestyle or in raising healthy households. Sure. Well, behavioral psychology is just understanding how people naturally act, how they, why they engage and what they engage in. And then once you understand naturally why that's going on, you can then start to arrange the environment to uh, kind of increase the probability of engaging in the desired outcomes. And when that comes to fitness and nutrition, it's really just setting up the environment so you get those desired outcomes of putting the more desired foods in your mouth, you know, the, the healthy ones versus all the sugar and everything else. Uh, because let's face it, if we could eat candy all the time and be physically fit, we would. That'd be great. That would be great. But it's optimally arranged that or working out because who wouldn't want to sit and watch Netflix all night and eat Dove chocolates? Uh, that's far more desirable than getting on the treadmill or a Peloton or something. So uh, when it comes to fitness and nutrition, it's just rearranging that environment to make those other behaviors more desirable. And that's so really ask, in a nutshell. Does that mean that you, I'm just curious, don't have any sugar in your house? We have tons, what, of, sugar. tons of sugar in our house. Okay, great. So what does that mean like for your household? How do you rearrange your household to make it so that those desirable outcomes happen? I know that's for kind us, of a, a deep question, but I don't know if there's if a short answer. <laughs> uh, the short answer is it's a lot of uh, get all nerdy with it. It's really uh, a system set up and getting organized and setting up planning meals in advance. So it's not just I'm starving it's eight o'clock at night. We have to have dinner. What's the first thing I grab grabbing the yeah. sugar? It's planning ahead so we can reach in that fridge for pre-planned meal or we've got something in the, uh, the slow cooker or something in the Instapot ready to go. And also just setting up the environment so that I want to work out, making it easy. Uh, when I want to get on the treadmill, it's not like, oh, where are my shoes? Where's my workout clothes? It's all lined up. So it's like, okay, I got my workout clothes. I go downstairs. My, I have a pair of shoes I use just for the treadmill so we don't tear up the belt. My shoes are right next to it. I'm ready to go. And it also removes a lot of the, the burden, the effort that goes into it to make it just natural and easy. And then, of course, we arrange the environment so we can watch TV while we're on the treadmill. So it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. We get our Netflix time in. It's, um, it's little things like that. The other part to it, though, is that external reinforcement has to be there. For me, especially, like I need some kind of reward for doing all of those things that I've put into place and set up. Um, so for me, my reward is actually having access to TV time because I love to just sit and watch TV. But I don't allow myself to do that unless I've gotten on the treadmill or done like my laps in the pool or a couple of miles on the bike. Um, that reward has to be there for me to do it. I love that. And, and I just want to make sure I love that you said your reward has to do with maybe something external like watching TV, not my reward is I get to eat a cake, piece of cake if I work out or I'm not going to eat it if I don't. Right. No, it's, you cannot use food as a reward. I mean, you can, but it's really hard to stop with that, like one little piece of candy or one little slice of cake because yeah. we're humans. We don't want one little tiny slice. We want the whole thing. Um, and that's going to that's going to completely derail everything you just did in order to get that one little piece of cake. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work. 
Well, and making food and exercise transactional, I think it's a a bit of a slippery slope, but it sounds like your experience and your background have fine-tuned that for you. So making that reward something productive rather than kind of perpetuating some, you know, problematic behaviors in the long term. Right. Because you don't want to inadvertently set up food or lack of food, a punishment reward situation. And you actually just compound the behavioral problems doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like both fields are in agreement on this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm interested for the next question. Marco, I know you have lost a significant amount of weight. Can you share a bit about your personal food philosophy kind of what you found that works in keeping weight off? And also, is that approach to health enhanced by your education in applied behavioral analysis? Um, and another kind of question to this, does do you believe that kind of all foods fit? Um, does that apply to your personal journey? And just feel free to chime in too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, just, just a little bit of weight loss, uh, uh, about 130 pounds. <laughs> Wow. And it's it's been a, a struggle through life. Um, I'm Italian, if you didn't notice by my name. And so there's lots of yummy food growing up, lots of food all around, lots of carb, very carb-heavy foods, lots of pasta, pasta. growing up. <laughs> and that was fine when I was young and I had the metabolism going and I was super active. And then I got very sedentary, a lot of staring and working on the computer long hours and put on all that weight and stressful work environments. And, you know, knowing, understanding behavior, understanding how to change behavior, it's one thing to do it and kind of help others change their, their actions, their routines, the world around them. It's harder when it's like, okay, now it's my turn to work on my own behavior on my off time. It's like, oh God, it's, it's more, more work for me. Uh, but as I was getting closer to 40 and I was unhappy and I was getting into those negative health consequences that come with being so overweight, uh, it was time to really buckle down and do some of the things and make some of the changes I just didn't want to do. And one of those being a, uh, a data guy, a data nerd, was creating essentially a, a, a dashboard for what I was doing. And one thing I didn't want to do was track what I was eating. Uh, but really, that's what made the difference for me was I needed to see the data. I needed to see when I was kind of going off the rails, not to be strictly tied to, oh, I hit my calorie count for the day or hit my macro count, but just kind of going, what's the trend for the week? Am I starting to go off the rails or not? And not waiting six months, a year, two years and going, wow, I just put on another like 30 pounds. You know, it's uh, so that's really what it came down to was being able to kind of look and have an indicator of, yeah, I need to go. I haven't gone for a run yet this week or things like that. And then once I got tied into that, then it was easier. The natural consequences, the runner's high, the going out in the fresh air and be able to go farther to do some of these races and perform better to finish a triathlon. And all of a sudden they call your name, like come up and get an award. And it's like, what? I was just happy to cross the finish line and not die. <laughs> uh, and now I'm getting a major award, which I think one of the photos I sent you, Nicole, was uh, my major award was a bumper sticker. <laughs> for being on the podium in a triathlon. Um, and so that it very much ties into uh, our education that Justin and I have because it's a very data-based approach of what's observable, measurable, and then using that information, the data, uh, to make decisions on what to change, what to tweak, and move forward. 
Yeah, I, I love that uh, so much. I love that you said that you weren't so focused on calories and macros and all that because, you know, Nicole and I talk a lot about intuitive eating and how, you know, having a, a better relationship with food. And a lot of times when you're dieting, it can destroy your relationship with food because all you're doing is counting calories or points or macros and you just lose touch with actual food satisfaction. So it sounds like you found a great way to reach your goals without focusing purely on what you're putting in your mouth. So I think that's, that's great. I also, um, you know, we also talk a lot about the health at every size movement and how it's important to make sure that we're not focusing necessarily on the number on the scale, but more on health habits, which it sounds like you're doing as well. So I, I think that's, I mean, obviously you, you know what you're doing, you've got the background. So it sounds like you're using all your knowledge in the right way. Well, that's awesome. We definitely don't want to focus. Well, it's nice to say, hey, I've lost all this weight. It's for us, it's important not to focus on weight because there's so much that goes into weight, your metabolism, all these other factors, how much you exercise, everything. For us, it's more important to focus on those little behaviors, those behaviors that happen every day. And then long term, the secondary effect or even the tertiary effect is the weight loss. And so along the way, being active, even if when we were heavier, uh, was more important to us than the number on the scale. But that said, we do actually track the number on the scale. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that if that's how you choose to. Yeah. Uh, It's just nice to to have that number, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, You guys both mentioned that, you know, when you when we were talking about how just making small changes uh, in your environment. And I loved how you mentioned not you kind of said this indirectly, but not allowing yourself to get too hungry and how that kind of prevents you from maybe eating too much or eating more than your body needs. And I'm wondering if you noticed kind of a trend as you started to to track more of your behaviors in maybe before when you were stressed and you weren't paying much attention to when you were eating or what you were eating or why you were eating. Did you notice more of of trends? What was causing you to eat what you were eating? Was it, um, you know, stress, lack of sleep, allowing yourself to get too hungry? Did you did you notice anything like that? I mean, it's definitely all stress, of the above. All of it. Yeah. Lack of sleep yeah. is going to make you eat more because you're trying to fill that. Like, I need sleep void. Um, and mm-hmm. stress. It like I am a big stress eater. When I have like four insurance reports due in one week, I am shoving things in my face that I should not be eating. Mm-hmm. Like that just is going to happen. I need to make sure I exercise more that week. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a especially in the various jobs I've had over the years. It's been a lot of high stress environments and lack of sleep. And I am a stress eater, even like in college when I was like taking 19 credits and working two jobs. It's like an entire family size box of Chips Ahoy would disappear in the course of writing one paper that night, Mm -hmm. Uh, just mindlessly eating. So that's where having a dashboard kind of helped for me initially setting up. Now I, my body knows when I'm full, I've had enough. Uh, But in turning that corner, it helps to be able to look at something and go and having to stop and you know keep track of it uh, just helped in those early stages of stopping with the stress eating and knowing when I'm full. And, and now it's it's settled in in this kind of maintenance phase I'm in of just maintaining where I'm at. So you're not tracking as much. It's more intuitive at this point, would you say? Uh, it's a little of both. I haven't completely given up on tracking, 
But yeah. Um, yeah, I can tell when I'm full and then I'll later I'll look at the data and go, oh, yeah, it's still matching. I'm, I'm not, you know, slipping. It's, mm-hmm. it's nice to still have it there and nice to look back at, at the data to make sure I'm not completely slipping on everything. But it is not just a data guy. Can't help it. That's who I am. It's, it's been my life as an adult. Yeah. All right. So you're both involved in a ton of physical activities, everything from ice hockey to aqua biking to, I'd never heard of this, but Kai tries, which I'd love to hear about. And you enjoy (laughs) doing much of this as a couple. And we love that. How have these activities impacted your overall health and what keeps you coming back for more races and physically challenging activities and events? Um, overall health, I mean, it, having that race on the calendar gives us a goal to work towards. I, when we first started, I made the mistake of just putting it on the calendar and then I did not exercise at all in preparation for it. And then I went and I did the race. It was an aqua bike. And I thought that I was literally going to die. It was horrible. Like I was physically ill. I cry. It was bad. Um, and so after that, I was like, okay, well, I have another one in a month. I need to work on riding X amount of miles per day on my bike and slowly increasing the number of miles until I hit whatever the mileage was for the next race. And I need to be working on my laps in the pool. And again, slowly increasing the number of laps that I was doing in order to hit the meters for that race. Um, that second race went much better because I had prepared for it. So having, knowing that I'm going to have a race that year, putting it on the calendar and then figuring out some sort of exercise plan to get me to where I need to be for that day is huge. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's working. Everyone, we all know it's, it's all over everything that you need to move your body. You need to be active to be a well-rounded physically fit. It's not just what you put in your body, but do something, get off your butt. That said, working out for the sake of working out is awful. (laughs) So putting that extra motivation of, Hey, I got something on the calendar to train towards. So I don't make a fool of myself. So I don't hurt myself. So I don't waste my money or my time. It helps. Hey, I got to go or this is going to hurt. And this is going to hurt bad, or it's just going to be a waste of time. Helps motivate in going. And whether it be a triathlon or my new favorite, Kai Tries, which is a, instead of the traditional swim bike run, it's a kayak bike run. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that's mainly what I look for when in races. I'd rather do the kayak bike run. It's, uh, it helps and it gives us something to do and it mixes it up. So it's not like we're only running or we're only biking. The scenery is much different. Obviously, when you go for a bike ride or a run, the scenery changes as you go. Well, now we're doing multi-sport. We're working different muscles and we've got more variety in what we do every day. And it's like, oh, I don't feel like running today. OK, I'll go bike or I don't feel like biking. I'm going to go swim or I'm going to go kayak and just mixing it up the move and be active and get fresh air and spend time together and get a break from the kids because <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> all four of them. Did you guys like the challenge or the structure of like a training or both? I like the challenge and I actually it's less structured. It's the variety that makes it up. I feel like if I'm doing just running, that is a very structured training, but mm-hmm. because we've got so many different sports to focus on, it keeps it, uh, keeps the variety there, keeps it interesting and, and 
a little bit looser. I honestly like the structure more. I like <laughs> because last year when I was getting ready for the aqua bikes and I mean, I didn't really kayak in preparation for the one Kai try we did together. Um, but to prepare for the aqua bikes, I knew that I needed to swim like at least 500 meters a day. And then a couple of hours later, I knew that I needed to get on my bike and do at least 10 miles a day. Um, and I, I liked having that. I liked knowing today I'm going to be getting in the pool and then I'm going for a bike ride and nothing is getting in my way. I'm going to do it. And I, I need to have that for me. Um, I'm sorry. What is aqua biking? Why? I don't know what this is. <laughs> okay. So an aqua bike is just two legs of a triathlon. It is the swimming oh, and then okay. it's the bike riding. And then there's no running because I hate, hate <laughs> running. I hate it with burning passion. Um, I've done five K's. I actually really like five K's, but I don't run them. I walk them. Um, same thing with our triathlons. I will not run the 5k part. I will do, I will walk the whole thing. Okay. Which I don't feel bad about at all because I'm still going out there and I'm doing it and I'm finishing it and I feel good about myself after that. But yeah, I I prefer the the swimming and the biking to the running part. So. All right. So as behavioral psychologists, I do have a question and Okay. So I think about myself. I am very motivated to work out. I actually really enjoy it. I I don't mind waking up at five o'clock and getting on my bike or going for a run or, you know, doing a bar workout. I actually look forward to it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to convince myself of this. I actually really do enjoy it. I realize not everyone is like that. Would you say that for those people who are not like that, signing up for an activity such as the ones you're talking about, or even just a simple 5k or whatever it is, is, is probably a good idea to kind of get you motivated to, to be more active. Um, yes, because it gives you that goal to work towards. And again, like I said, if you, if you don't practice before you actually go and do it, you think you're going to die and you actually feel like you're going to die. Um, but if you also, if you don't enjoy it, having that external reinforcement of some sort of reward for after you finish whatever um, exercise, uh, preparation that you're doing, like I'm, I'm going to get on my treadmill and I'm going to walk. That was fun. I'm going to walk two miles today, having that external reinforcement of, yes, I did that. And now I get to sit and watch my favorite TV show for 30 minutes or an hour. And even if you're not signed up for an actual race, there are couch to 5k Mm -hmm. couch to 10k couch to triathlon clubs. You can join and programs. And that social aspect, if you're a very social person, having that on the calendar to go do it, an appointment to go work out, and then wanting to work out so you don't embarrass yourself in front of those people, that external piece helps. It's almost like if you break a bone, having that cast for a little extra support as you get it going. And then once you've done it for a while, the natural consequences of beating your own time or the endorphins, that runner's high, will eventually kick in and take over and you won't need that other stuff, the external pieces. But in the meantime, whatever it takes to get you out there and get you moving, do it. The first marathon I ever ran, I was very well trained for. I followed a very structured program. The second one, I sloughed off a little bit on the, on the long runs. And <laughs> I never did like my, I think it was like a 23 miler and I probably skipped my 20 miler and maybe my 20 and When I crossed the finish line, I just repeated over and over in my head, never again, Nicole, never again, Nicole, never again, (laughs) never again. Remember this moment. You want to die. Actually, you might be half dead. And I've never done one since and I never would. Um, But I do think the structure and the challenge of it, it was it sounds like a lot of what you guys do, where it was just like, okay, October, Chicago Marathon, I'm signed up. 
O-S-H-I-T. Now I got to do something about it, right? <laughs> so it was like, yeah. okay, four and a half months of very structured training. And it gave me that goal and the structure that I thrived in that environment. So I, I resonate very much so with what you're saying. I'm less that way now because I think like Gina just said, exercise is a joy for me. Um, and I enjoy a lot of varieties and I, I feel blessed to have a lot of different options available to me. Um, but yeah, I, that's so interesting. Like I just, and you guys find all the fun stuff to do. I mean, a Kai try that's like my kind of race. Cause Jess, you hate this, you hate the running, but I hate the swimming. So I'm, I'm the same way. I I'm a scuba diver. I've been a scuba diver since what, when I was 15. Yeah. And before that I was big into snorkeling and I, I'll swim and I'll swim, but I'm not a speed swimmer. Uh-huh. And so the idea of doing a race like that or especially when you're out there with all the bodies and you're getting kicked in the face. Okay, so it, it's just not fun to me. Whereas the kayak piece, it's like, okay, well, it's bumper boats. It's a yeah. little bit rubbing is racing at the beginning, but at least uh-huh. I have a boat as a buffer and it's not like you're hitting me in the head while I'm in the water. Uh, I find that way more fun. For the swimming part, because this is a thing. Um, if you are not like a super speedy swimmer, that's fine. Like nobody cares. Just hang back and go in a later wave so that most of the people go ahead of you. And then you don't have to deal with like having bodies constantly touch you and you're getting kicked in the face. Also, um, you don't want to go with the very last people because those people don't know how to swim. And they are the ones that are like flopping around in the water and splashing excessively. And you're just going to get wave after wave of water in your mouth and your nose as you're trying to actually swim. swimming off target. They're like going 30 degrees the wrong way. Yeah, so oh my gosh. you know you Crashing can you can you. sort of arrange your swimming environment to best suit your needs. Spoken like so a true behavioral know. psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. So a pitfall dietitians often see is kind of this all or nothing mentality. Um, you know, people setting unrealistic goals for themselves, um, which arguably we we may <laughs> border on that ourselves. Uh, but it's also a huge reason uh, why the belief that dials, diets fail exist. So we know the yo-yo of cycling is yo-yo cycling of weight cycling is real um, and it's harmful to health. Can you kind of marry together health goal setting with your field of work and how can people most effectively set health goals? Sure, because uh, eating healthy, I mean, it really comes down to putting food in your mouth is a behavior and all behaviors you can intervene upon. And in this case, it's just really setting it up so that you've, you first you've got to establish your goals. You need to have a, a somewhat of a baseline to know what you're doing, where you want to go, and then figure out those baby steps to get there. Don't go all or nothing. Don't go all in right off the bat because like new year's eve resolutions uh you're gonna fail after about two days if you go too crazy with it start small baby step your way towards what you want to do and in terms of all or nothing you don't want to go all or nothing especially right off the bat because again you're gonna fail um ease your way into it maybe it's it's not eating out five days a week you know maybe it's like okay i successfully did it uh four days or ate at home four days and working your way up to what you want to achieve. In terms of uh, goal setting, it's just be realistic. Start small. Things you can achieve, you know you can achieve. If, you, um, if you're eating a whole bag of Chips Ahoy cookies, maybe it's not like, okay, I'm going to get rid of all the sugar in my house because that's just not going to work. Uh, maybe it's like, I'm going to have two. And just pace yourself. And it gets down to moderation. 
a cookie is not a bad thing. You shouldn't punish yourself over having a cookie. You should uh, kind of be feel bad about maybe having an entire family size bag by yourself in one sitting. Uh, that's just not sustainable. No, but like if you are at that point, it might not be reasonable to go from that entire bag of cookies down to just two cookies. So maybe your starting goal needs to be, I'm only going to eat half of this bag or I'm only going <laughs> to eat three quarters of this bag. And then when you meet that goal, you give yourself a pat on the back or whatever it is that you find reinforcing. And then you work your way backwards from there. You don't want to set your initial goal so far away that it's unreachable based on what your baseline behavior is. Uh, big changes take time. That, the time has to be a piece of this. Yeah. You, you, you shouldn't expect to make big drastic changes overnight. Now, like I know with me, a lot of people suddenly noticed overnight, but it's been a multi, <laughs> multi-year process of small changes over time. And even hanging with it, like I'm still running into people like, well, I haven't seen you in three years and wow, you've changed. I'm like, well, yeah, in three years. And even before then, I just hadn't gone shopping for new clothes yet. You didn't notice that there was changes going on before that. Um, time, time has to be a factor. And if you're putting on weight and you, you've gotten to a point where you just are unhappy with where you're at in terms of your body and you want to make a change, you didn't get there overnight. So don't expect to like change and suddenly get to your new target size body shape overnight either. It's going to take time. Uh, so give yourself that time and make those small changes. And as you get to your next goal level, okay, now we're going to tweak it, do what we're doing and change one or two more things and do that for a while. And when you're successful with that, okay, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, but I'm going to change one or two other things and continue on. I have a question. Don't try to change the entire world in, in one shot. Yeah, that's not yeah. Gonna work. Sorry, Marco, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I am curious. I know you're both active on Instagram. Do you think that social media is harmful to this kind of extreme behavior, you know, focus, hyper focus on appearance or not so much? Does it have a place, I guess? It, it can be harmful if you are a person that doesn't realize that the vast majority of it is fake. Um, like if you honestly, if you really don't know that that is the case, yes, it can absolutely be harmful. Um, it can lead you towards down the down the path of um, eating disorders, um, disordered thinking, all kinds of things. It, it can be dangerous. It can be very unhealthy. That's but if you go into it knowing, OK, well. I see that that person looks. Drastically different than they did two weeks ago. OK, well, let's let's really start to look at this picture. The lighting is drastically different in this picture where they look amazing. Also. They are now wearing these tights and it looks like the tights are starting to compress some of their body parts to make it appear that they are skinnier. Also, their hair is down in this picture and that's more flattering towards the shape of their face versus this picture over here where her ponytail is super high up on her head and very tight and her face is pulled and the light is shining up from below her face in that really bad picture. And over here, it's shining it's taken at sunset and it, the sun is hitting on an angle and that's very flattering towards face shape. So like, yes. I'm laughing. Like a true these, photographer. <laughs> but also, There's all of these tricks though that can manipulate a body without actually like having anything change. And most people don't realize that when they're looking at social media, they're just saying, wow, this person looks amazing and it's only been two weeks. Oh my gosh. What's their secret? The nature of social media, too, is it's a primarily filled with visual stimuli. So, of course, there's going to be an emphasis on appearances and looks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the nature of the beast. 
that said, it's the internet. You can find anything out there that agrees with what you want. Absolutely. And so if you are looking for something motivational and inspirational, it's there. Uh, along with all the stuff that leads to negative influences. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to go back. First of all, there's a giant spider down here and I'm very sidetracked <laughs> oh, over no. here. And, and I, Nick came downstairs. <laughs> I thought he was going to kill it, but instead he just pushed it off to the side. So it's still roaming. I'm going to go back to what you guys said. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know when he became like this uh, insect enthusiast where he's not going to kill the, oh, whatever. Anyway. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to the comment you made about baby steps and, you know, making small changes. And I, and I completely agree, but I'm going to come at, at it from an intuitive eating side. So for example, if someone is prone to eating an entire bag of Chips Ahoy. I I have to think to myself that there's something else going on there. Um, And that perhaps it's not just because they want an entire bag of of cookies. It's maybe something emotionally going on there, or perhaps they've been restricting their food too much. And that's why they're in a a sense (laughs) binging on cookies. Right. And what are your thoughts on sort of just giving yourself the benefit of the doubt and just being kind to yourself and coming from a place of what they say, curiosity. And instead of just taking baby steps, instead just saying, okay, I ate this entire bag of, of, of cookies. I don't feel great after it. They were tasty, you know, something like that, but, but I'm okay. It's, it's not going to kill me. I'm, it's not harmful. Uh, I did it. It's done. Move on. Uh, what are your thoughts on just, I guess, coming from a place of curiosity and just being kind to yourself and not thinking too much of it and just moving on with your life? <laughs> you know, if it was a one-time occurrence or it occasionally mm-hmm. occurs, ah, it happened. Okay. But when it becomes a regular pattern and you're looking at there's other, and you're correct, there's other things going on, other factors going on, uh, it becomes time to, oh, I got to do something about this. I either need to go and get professional help with this or it's something I need to tackle myself, but it's just, it can't, it can't be. This is the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday occurrence (laughs) every week for months on end. Uh, The mindless eating because I'm overworked, overstressed and just sitting at one typing with one hand and uh, loading stuff in my mouth with the other. So it, it, again, it's, it's moderation. If it happens once, don't freak out. But if this has become the new norm, something's got to give because you just can't. And especially if you're seeing other negative health uh, aspects, and that's just one indicator, uh, the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, you got to start looking at what are all the other factors? What needs to change? Yeah. What else is influencing my eating this entire bag of Chip Ahoy's or this entire, you know, pizza all to myself? Not to pick on Chips Ahoy. You know, they're just the example here. Of course. Uh, An entire box of Girl Scout cookies. Oh, yes. (laughs) Right. Jess is a Girl Scout leader. Uh, So we have lots of Girl Scout cookies in this house. All over the house. (laughs) That's a Cases of them. Um, Kind of. Lots of temptation. No, but like if you are on whatever kind of diet you've decided works for you and you do have one of those days where you go completely off the rails and you eat that entire box of Thin Mints, it's okay. Tomorrow is a new day. You can always hop back onto your diet. You don't let that one moment completely take you off of your diet and say, that's it. I'm never going to lose this weight. This whole thing is crap and I'm shutting the whole thing down and just eating box after box of cookies after that point. No, you had your moment. 
you accept it, and then you hop right back on the horse, and it's fine. It ties back into what we were saying before with trends, looking at the trends, not just the single incident, but what's the trend? Where am I going with this? Is it just, that's just an anomaly, a blip on the radar, or is this like the new norm, and I don't like where it's going? Yeah. Yeah, and and probably taking a deep dive into exactly what the what the emotions that transpired prior were. Oh, of uh, course, that's the that's the next piece of like diagnosing. Okay, why is it happening? But first, right. you got to recognize that the trend is happening, and that's like why is it happening, and then what can I do about it? Right, right, all right. So, in your pursuit of improved health, what has been your biggest aha moment or best piece of advice? <laughs> well, we're staring at each other. He's going to talk first. Uh, for me, the biggest, uh, it wasn't so much an aha moment, but it was really just biting the bullet. And it was to take data on what I didn't want to take data on. I did not want to face uh, looking at what I was putting in my mouth, how much I was putting in my mouth on a daily, weekly, monthly basis uh, in terms of calories and macros. and really just setting up that dashboard. I had done exercise and fitness and all that, but not, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to face the facts of how much I was eating every day. And so creating that, collecting data on that, looking at the trends and then doing those diagnostic pieces that, you know, Jess and I know from our professional lives to tackle the problems, tackle the surrounding issues. and adjust it and make the changes. Uh, that was kind of what the breakthrough moment was, was finally, okay, I'm going to take data on this. Uh, and we've known that. And like we, I, I used to be a professor and I've taught my students, you can't just blindly make changes. You need to have data. And here I was trying to make adjustments blindly because I didn't want to face the truth. Um, that, that was the breakthrough, but also getting to the point where it's like, we've got these four little kids. I want to see them grow up. I want to see my walk my daughters down the aisle when they get married. Uh, and if I don't do something, uh, I won't be there because I was having most of health problems. Uh, I think, what was it? Right before I turned 30, I, as, as I was wheeled out of my office on a gurney because I had passed out at work. From laughing too hard. From laughing too hard. <laughs> I had, yeah, that's how out of shape I was. Uh, and it, you know, that just added to the stress of like, they're going, your, your blood pressure's out of control. I'm like, well, I'm 29. My, all the other division leads are in their fifties and sixties. Uh, just a little bit of stress there. And now I just got taken out of the office on a gurney. Uh, yeah, I'm a little stressed. Mm-hmm. And I just found out we were going to have a second kid. <laughs> and the oldest one was like five months old at that point. <laughs> oh, <yikes. laughs> yeah. I didn't realize they were that close together. Oh, oh, they're yes. Irish twins. They're 11 months apart. Oh, I had no idea. I see I see lots of kid two and kid three and kid four. Yeah, kid one likes to be out in the world. Well, she's also at the she, rink. She's uh, at, uh, at the rink. Like, <laughs> at the rink at, I mean, they're all at the rink, but they're, she's at the rink on nights when you're at the rink, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. Jess, any aha moments for you? Or? I mean, mine was honestly that consistency is key. I decided on a on a... Uh, change in diet plan. I don't want to call it like an actual diet, but just a change in the way that I was eating. And I was like, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for 30 days and I'm going to see what's going to happen. And I stuck to it. 
and it worked. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this worked, which is dumb because we're behavior analysts and we know that consistency is key if we're going to see change in behavior and side effect changes from making that change, like weight loss and size changes and um, increased stamina and increased health levels. Um, so yeah, it was, it was mind blowing, but at the same time it was like, well, duh, of course it worked. You were consistent with it. Yay. You. <laughs> I think Gina, you know, maybe a question for you. I battle a bit more about with, you know, where intuitive eating intersects with nutrition, right? Like, you know, I've struggled with this, but listening to Marco and Jess, I think talk about just the role of data and kind of just a, gaining a good understanding of food. I think what, you know, dietitians can sometimes fail to realize or even remember is people don't know about food. Like people may not know how much energy or calories, if you will, are are in food. I, I mean, there's if there's no knowledge of exactly what it is that, you know, your body requires, needs, it, I think you, you have to have some type of a foundation to be successful in in pursuing you know, better health, I guess. I don't know. I think, I think yeah. like smoothies, that's a great example, like, or wraps, you know, they'll tell you at a restaurant, oh, well, the wrap is a healthier choice often than the, um, the salad because of all the the goodies they put on the salad or that the wrap is actually higher in carbohydrate than the two slices of bread, just little things like that, that I know, I don't necessarily care. I don't let that dictate what I order. Cause I, I just, I'm, I'm there. Like <laughs> I, mm -hmm. um, but I think most people don't know stuff like that, or, or they would assume that a smoothie is a great choice, but it's really just like a fruit concentrate with juice added and blended with ice. I, you know, little things mm -hmm. like that, where if you don't know anything about food, it's hard to really have a launch pad. So that's where I would argue. And I, and I did actually recently <laughs> change my... Can you guys tell my... and I go back and forth about this all the time? <laughs> so I recently ch changed my Instagram handle to trust your body RD. And that's because the whole idea of intuitive eating is that you don't actually have to know that information. Your body will tell you that. If you're eating a smoothie from Jamba Juice every day, you're going to eventually realize that you actually don't feel that full after eating it and don't feel that great. So you'll make a change. It's making that change and listening to your body and trusting that your body knows what's best. That is the most difficult part. We did it as a kid. We did it as babies, but then we slowly get out of that habit as we age. It happens to almost all of us. So getting back to that point where you can trust your body to know what and how much you need to eat is what's key. You don't have to know. We all know that fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean meats are good for us or, you know, um, you know, uh, plant-based proteins, for example, those are all good for us. We know that. I think we all have baseline knowledge that, a you know, a frappuccino mocha chocolato, whatever, <laughs> venti grande from Starbucks is not going to be healthy. We know that. We're just trying to tell ourselves it's not true. But we also will realize after eating, drinking, eating one of those every single day for a month, we feel like shit. It's going to be very obvious and apparent if you're attuned <laughs> to the nuanced signals of your body. And that is the key. Um, so I, I mean, I, I do agree that having some baseline knowledge is important, but I will tell you right now, and I happen to know this for a fact, when I was counting calories and counting carbs, I ate more than when I was, it just became attuned to my body and started eating based on what my body wanted or needed. Um, because I would get to the end of the day and think, oh, I've only had 1400 calories. I can eat 600 calories more. And I would eat that <laughs> regardless of how hungry I actually was. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know I'm eating less now. I know it for a fact because sometimes I will actually go back and this is still my diet mentality that happens every once in a while. And, and, and in my head, count how many calories I've eaten. And I'm like, wow, I've only eaten this many calories, but I'm doing it for the right reasons because I'm listening to my body, eating when I'm hungry, not eating because it's a certain time or because I, I need a certain amount of points right now. So I'm sorry, I'm going off on a complete tirade, but um, yeah, that's, that's how I do it. And that's how I sort of teach anyone who, who wants to learn from me. I'm not saying that what, what you guys are doing is wrong. It just wouldn't work for me. I'm not a numbers person. And when I was in that time of my life where I was constantly using numbers to determine when and how much to eat, it did not work for me. It does work for some people though. Absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, the intuitive eating uh, uh, program, I guess, or mindset isn't necessarily for everyone. Whatever works best for you, I think is what is best. Absolutely. Um, but I, that is just not what works for me. And I think probably a lot of people too, but I know plenty of people who do what you do and, and, and it doesn't sound like you're doing it in, in a way that I would consider not helpful. You're not, like you said, you're not counting your calories or counting your macros. You are, in a sense, trying to stay attuned to your body and, and looking at other health behaviors to see if that's affecting how much you're eating. I think that's great. And not dictating your life, it sounds like. Right, right. No, but it is about trying to reestablish, and it has been about reestablishing what is, what does my body actually want? What is my body telling me? And just putting that with an, an objective dashboard initially so that I can see a number or a set of numbers and then match that with the feeling I have so that I can understand, okay, oh, I feel like crap. Oh, mm-hmm. I had 6,000 calories. No wonder I feel like crap. Um, <laughs> you know, and getting it down, it's like, okay. And, you know, not going, I have to hit a target, but knowing, oh, I've got a little over, but, you know, big deal. What's, what's the trend over the long haul? And how do I feel? And so you get to the point where you know, okay, this is what feeling full feels like. This is what eating at a certain level feels like. This is what, hey, I'm, I can feel that I'm, I need X. I'm missing something that I need to eat today. Or uh, right now, like I just feel like finishing a run or a race. It's like, I can really, I need something with potassium in it. Uh, just knowing that, but kind of matching it up and having the data go, what's going on? Why do I feel this way? And over time, it's less about the dashboard. That becomes a something you come back to to make sure the big trends are staying on and you're not sliding off target. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of daily living, you know what you need, you know how to feel. But initially, you need that extra crutch. You need that extra support uh, for some people, for definitely people like us, data yeah. people. That helps to have that there for us to get started. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know I, this is great. I love it. Um, a bit of a different angle from everyone. A little bit. Um, you're both super busy. <laughs> I, I know that. I'm like really busy. So what keeps you motivated? And do you have any time management strategies or tips to keep others kind of working towards their health goals while juggling work, kids, hobbies, life, all the things? I think our our number one life hack into keeping all this all the juggling all the balls in the air and keeping the circus going is we have a whiteboard mm. right at the nexus of the house where 
the entry from the garage and the living room and the kitchen intersect. And it's right there. We lay out where everybody has to be when and what are we eating for dinner each night so that it doesn't get to be, hey, it's 830. These kids are starving. We're starving. Let's go get McDonald's every single night. Uh, it's we've got it planned out. We know, hey, it's going to be a busy night. That's a slow cooker meal night. Uh, hey, we got some time. Cool. We can actually make a real dinner together. Uh, so-and-so is going to be at the ice rink. Somebody else is going to be at Taekwondo, uh, especially when I was coaching all the time. I've got to be on the other end of the county, standing around watching kids run in circles, you know, whatever. Uh, it's all organized there so we can plan ahead. And it's that planning ahead to kind of lay everything out ahead of time and knowing you know, what needs to be done on the laundry, what needs to be done with food prep. It just, it would all fall apart without that. It's a, it's a simple whiteboard for us that really holds it all together. And that would be our, you know, our number one tip is just get yourself organized and it doesn't take expensive apps and devices. A simple whiteboard can do it. Do the kids have that it's kind of tasks to help out? Oh yes. Yeah. Their chores are on there. And especially our, our oldest son is probably number one in this. He'll come by every day. Like, looking to see what's for dinner and what's mustacholi or what's <laughs> chicken tikka tikka masala or oh tikka or oh, i thought it was tikka yeah. just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Nic- nicole used to say tikka masala i'm laughing at her right now oh my gosh. i'm sitting in my bedroom like bright red thanks thanks sure <laughs> It will always be Tikka, okay? That's hilarious. <laughs> no. I love it. Um, what about motivation? I mean, you you guys are just so busy. Do you do you exercise at a certain time of day, or do you meal plan on a certain day, grocery shop on a certain day? Like, what are what are some other little tips and tricks? Because I think one of my biggest pet peeves is somebody who also I would self identify as quite busy. I do not appreciate when people say I don't have time. Like to me, that is the biggest cop out ever. Um, when I am on my exercise schedule, I have to do it at a certain time every day. It has been at five o'clock in the morning. I've been struggling with how to balance that with like having to get up and actually go to work now. So that's been fun. But before I was working, I was getting up at five, getting on the treadmill for about 45 minutes. And then I would do uh, 15 minutes of some other form of exercise down in the basement. And then I would get ready for the day and go from there. On the weekends, it's a little bit different. Because I have the entire Saturday and Sunday to do whatever. So it was more of like at some point on Saturday and Sunday, especially during the summer, I'm going for a bike ride or I'm going for a swim. Um, same thing within the summer during the week. It would be on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm going to be in the pool to do X no later than four o'clock. <clears throat> on Tuesday and Thursday. I know that I am going for a bike ride no later than five o'clock and I'm going to do X amount of miles on that day. So I have I need to have that structure. If I don't have that structure, it's not going to get done because I personally I hate exercise. I don't really want to do it. I need <laughs> this. I need the structure and I need the external motivation, the reinforcement. And, and my schedule has so much variability in it um, that I can't do a hard structure. So mine is by the end of the day. And I know I have to get it in there. And then it's looking at each day, where can I shoehorn this in and go do it? And then, of course, now I've gotten to the point where 
I just got off a conference call, stressed out. Uh, instead of going and raiding the pantry, it's I'll go hop on my bike and go for a ride or I'll go for a run or I'll get on the treadmill and run off the crazy, so to speak. Um, but it's it's not a specific time of day. It could be at all times of day. It's just getting it in, doing something each day. And then as far as the meal planning and the scheduling, it's usually a Saturday, Sunday thing, most often Sunday, where I erase the whiteboard and we do the next week's worth of stuff. And it's just, it's, let's make it to Friday. Let's make it through Friday. Uh, I mean, we've got four kids, so it's like, let's just hang on. I think the thing we hate the most is when either your parents or my parents magically appear on <laughs> Friday as soon as school got out and they look and like, your house is a disaster. Yeah, no yeah, kidding. We're just making it to Saturday and we'll... <laughs> Clean up, reset, and do it again. <laughs> and that's just, it's life. Four kids, two full-time jobs. Yep. I love it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today. And I certainly know where to find you guys because uh, I tune into your show regularly. But please share with our listeners where they can find more about your show and where they can find you on social media to connect after the show. Uh, thanks for having us. Thank and you. Uh, if anyone wants to listen in, you can find our podcast, the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast, uh, wherever you find podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, everything. Uh, on social media, our primary social media account is our Instagram, which is Red Arrow HW. And the link in the bio there also has links to all the various places you can listen to us. Cool. Can you explain what Red Arrow is? <laughs> <laughs> We uh, so it means a lot to us because in this part of Michigan, we are right off of Red Arrow Highway. And uh, growing up, I, I grew up in this part of Michigan. Uh, my I was the high school I went to was part of the Red Arrow Conference. There's just a lot of Red Arrow references around here. So for Southwest Michigan, it's Red Arrow, Red Arrow, Red Arrow, this and that. And so it, okay. when we were coming up with a name, it's like, what's unique about us? And it was, you know, Red Arrow Highway. Uh, so really, cause that's where a lot of our, our bike riding goes and a lot of the different races we do. And part of what we talk about is, is raising our kids in this area, but in our lives and my coaching and a lot of my coaching has me going to various high schools up and down Red Arrow Highway. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it just became this central theme. It's like, well, that's where we're going with this Red Arrow health and wellness. And for reference, Gina, Red Arrow Highway is the street that I live off of like the main. Oh. It's okay. Main drag. Yeah. It's the main drag that goes all the way up Lake Michigan, at least for a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Through this county. Yep. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. And uh, yeah, listeners, be sure to tune in to Red Arrow. Thanks thank for having you. us. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys. All right. Gina, Mom Win, favorite new product or recipe? Sure. I swear. Nicole does not ask me to do this every week. I just <laughs> happen to do it. But typically, I mean, I just like your recipes, Nicole, because they're generally very easy. They're tasty. They're balanced, generally. And no, I'm just kidding. They're always pretty balanced. <laughs> no, <laughs> depending no, on what, not. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. And they're also easily modifiable, too, because, mm. you know, I like to modify recipes. So I found your, I wanted to get more beans in my diet. I, I'm always wanting to do that. And I'm, of course, I'm also re trying to reduce my meat intake, but here we go. I chose your Nicole's lentil. It's not called Nicole's. It's your lentil and sausage. You, you call it Italian sausage with warm lentil orange salad, which is a, a mouthful. And 
I could have used vegetarian sausage. I did not. I used just the regular pork sausage. Actually, I used, you used, I think, already pre-cooked sausage mm-hmm. that you just heated up. I used raw sausage that I boiled in beer for a little bit and then sliced and heated on a skillet. It was so, so good. But it was mainly, so again, like I like to say, using meat or pork or whatever the protein is as a garnish rather than a main part of the meal. And that's how I felt it was in this dish. So it was mainly beans. I actually used white beans instead of lentils and oranges, Brussels sprouts, and then the sausage almost as a garnish, if you will. And I thought it was delicious. And then it had a a vinaigrette dressing. Even Nick, he he actually came downstairs because he ate a little bit later that night. And he said, he said, oh, that was really good. You need to put that in your rotation. (laughs) So even Nick liked it. So yeah, that was a hit in our family for sure. Yeah. And that recipe, I think I tweaked it a bit too, but it came from my friend who's doing that fresh 30. I think I talked about it on the show a month Mm -hmm. or so ago, but yeah, that was a recipe from there that I I just tweaked a bit. But yeah, it was a very unique combination of flavors. You would not think Brussels sprouts and lentils or beans with orange. It's a little like, hmm, but it, it, it works. I agree. Yeah. And I will say Nick said next time don't add the oranges, but I disagree Mm. with that. I think Mm. the oranges were a nice touch, you know, sweet and savory. He can just eat around the oranges. It's not that I will add the oranges again next time. (laughs) Sorry, Nick. (laughs) Vetoed. Um, My mom win is another product. Clothing? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So just in Key West, obviously, and I needed some new shorts and I wanted something no, just comfortable. Yeah. Found these shorts on Amazon. They came recommended to me. They come in a bunch of different colors, but they're definitely that worn look. Um, some more than others. And I got two different pairs, but they're they're definitely like stretchy shorts. I, I they're great for vacation, but I will link them in the show notes. I find them, I think they're flattering um and very, very comfortable. And also like $20. Super cheap. But it's not the CRZ yoga brand. No, they're like jean okay. shorts. I should so they have oh. black like actual, like, I don't want to say stonewash. That makes it sound like Slater from, um, <laughs> from Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Not like, his name was Slater, right? I, that sounds not right, but Slater? I think it was Slater. How does that not sound Whatever. Right? If you were alive for Saved by the Bell, you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> not, not like eighties stonewash. Anyway, just check out the link. I'll put it in the show notes. They have, I got white ones and then just like jean ones that have like frayed, but they, they have like some worn spots, like where the pocket might like stick out a little bit. They just look well loved and, uh, but yet you buy them that way. Yeah. Okay. Without being was, like really short shorts. Like it's not, I got, I like on. really short shorts. I love my legs. I want to show them off when I can. There you go. <laughs> Get it girl. Um, What's his name? His name was AC Slater. I don't, yeah. So I think but we did call Slater. him Slater. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. I don't know why that didn't sound right. What was the, oh, Splinter, Splinter. the, the rat in, uh, in uh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So coming up on May 2nd, we will be dishing with Dr. Heather Hirsch of the Health with Heather Hirsch podcast, all about perimenopause. And if you're thinking, wait, that doesn't affect me, it may actually be closer uh, than you think, sadly enough. Although it can be, I, I mean, honestly, Dr. Hirsch, and we'll talk about it more when we when we interview her, is just, she's got some positive things to say about it. So it might not be as bad as you think, but it also might be closer than you think. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. 
and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone. Until next time, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.